0: We're going to talk today about doctrine, and it sounds like kind of a boring subject, but let me tell you, it's anything but boring. It's the most exciting thing, actually, that you can imagine. And we're going to do a number of uh, scriptures this morning that talk about what doctrine is and where we get it from. One of the uh, statements in our statement of faith that we have as a church and we're going to be revising this statement of faith as well as our whole constitution and bylaws and we'll be giving you information on that uh, as at our business meeting which we did have to postpone there was just too much happening uh, crowding into next sunday night so uh, we decided to put it on for a couple of weeks so that's why the change but in our statement of faith and this is slide number number one you'll find these words all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, the word Scripture refers to the Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is infallible, absolutely supreme, and sufficient in authority in all matters of faith and practice. The Bible does not simply contain the Word of God, but it is in reality the complete revelation and very Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Christian believers today have spiritual illumination to enable them to understand the Scriptures, but God does not give new revelation apart from or beyond the Bible. And then there's a couple of Scripture references there. So a foundational doctrine of our church is that the Bible is the Word of God. Do you have your Bible with you today? If you read it from your Laptop, well, you wouldn't have a laptop, but an iPad or a a phone. Wave it at me. Wave your phone at me or whatever you have. Wow, wonderful. So, this is the inspired Word of God. It's not just a collection of 66 books, but they are divinely brought together by the Holy Spirit. In fact, every author, and there's about 40 of them, and maybe a few more if you consider some of the extra um, authors in the book of Psalms. This book was written over a period somewhere between 1,000 and 1,600 years. And so it's an amazing book, considering, and think how long a year is, think of how long a century is, and imagine people from all different centuries writing a book that is so, so unified, where the themes all come together. The Bible says some amazing things about itself. In Psalm 19 verse seven to 11, it says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul." Now the law of the Lord refers to both the moral law and the covenantal law of God. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. A statute is a, a legal term. For example, the province of Nova Scotia has statutes. And they are a body of laws that have been enacted by our legislature. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Precepts are principles. So not just the actual words of the law, but the principles that are behind them. And they give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Uh, these commands and the laws of the Lord, the precepts, are not, are not optional, but they are, we are, they're very directive. They give us direction as to how we should live. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so the Bible is, is, is the embodiment of all what we just read there in the Psalms. And of course, when you come into the New Testament, there's so much more to it than that. But this is a very precious and valuable book, one that's been given to us by the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the word of God can keep you from sin. Sometimes people struggle with issues in their lives. They can struggle with anything, depression or sickness or or, or whatever. But the word of the Lord can keep us from sin. There's a power available to us in this book, in this word. Jesus was talking to the Sadducees, or really the Sadducees were talking to Jesus, and they said to, they said to him, a man dies, and, and uh, he has this wife, and anyway, uh, he, they were talking about if, if a man or a woman has several wives or husbands in their lifetime, when they get to heaven, to the res- and the resurrection takes place, whose wife will belong to the husband? Uh, Will he have to pick one when he gets to heaven, because you see the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, and so they thought this was a this was a a question that would trick Jesus. And here was his reply. He said, "You are an error. This is Matthew four, uh, Matthew twenty-two. You are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God." We can make a lot of of choices, moral decisions, things that we believe that are false and wrong and 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 very harmful. Because we don't know the scriptures. And Jesus gave that stark warning to them. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says of itself, the word of God is alive and active. This is not just a a collection of, of writings that are sacred, but there's life in the word of God. The word of God is alive and active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the word of God is, is, is sharper than a two-edged sword. And what does it cut into? It cuts into our soul, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, even the physical things that we do. And it starts to separate and start, it starts to divide for us. It it tells us the things that we're doing that are wrong and the things that we are doing that are right. And the word of God encourages to us towards the right and and. and and attempts to steer us away from the wrong. And the Bible says that the Word of God does that. So sometimes you might think you're doing things that are okay, but in fact they may not be okay. And the Holy Spirit will reveal them to you through His Word because one day we'll have to give an account to Him who created us. So uh, we will talk about that Scripture again before this morning is over. in Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed. Wow. Remember back in Genesis when God created the first man? It says that God breathed into him the breath or the spirit of the breath of life. And God breathed into his word. And so there's... The word is actually to us an opportunity to receive the very breath of God Himself. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to every good work. And the word teaching is is actually translated doctrine in many scriptures, uh, or in many versions of the scripture. So if you have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible or other translation, it's a, it'll say all scriptures profitable for doctrine or teaching, depending on which translation you have. Doctrine is a set of values, a set of beliefs that we believe in. And so you will have personal things you believe in, but then also collectively as a church, we have doctrines or series or bodies of truth that are based upon the scripture that talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Bible. Uh, it will talk about things about human beings, about the fact that we're all sinners, how we were created. It talks about the doctrines of salvation, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It talks about the doctrine, the doctrines of the end times, what is ahead for us, and the Bible sure is not silent about those things. So there's a number of sets of beliefs that are founded on the scriptures, and we call them doctrines or teaching. And so, the teachings of the Bible, the doctrines, are God-breathed. So it's important that we know what they are. Many people can say, well, I believe the Bible. Well, that's wonderful. But how much do you really know about it? Is what you know about the Bible what you've heard somebody else say? Is the greatest amount of knowledge that you possess concerning the scriptures based upon what you hear me say on a Sunday morning or what others who teach would say on a Sunday morning. And as important as that is, and it is very important, uh, there's more to it than that. We need to know the scriptures for ourselves. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25 said, But the word of the Lord endures forever. <laughs> and, there, and this is the word that was preached to you. Um, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I don't think we have that one on the, on the screen, uh, Mike. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 to 21. I love this. Well, I love them all, but this one is very special. We also have the prophetic message. So that's what this is, the prophetic message, as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light that shines in a dark place. Well, you can't get anything darker than this world. You can't get anything darker than sin. You can't get anything darker than despair or discouragement or a sense of futility or a sense of loss that can come whenever a loved one is taken from you. Darkness can easily settle in and take the form of grief and sorrow and it can become permanent. There are so many things, so many ways in which the darkness of sin, the darkness of the devil, and the darkness of a world that is without God can so creep in and enslave us, capture our minds and our thoughts, our emotions, and and be the driving force behind our lives. But we have a prophetic uh, scripture that we do well to pay attention to because it's a light that shines in a dark place. No matter what you're going through this morning, what dark place you might be experiencing in your heart or mind, there is a light that shines into that place. And it's God's word. And it's quick. And it's powerful. And it's sharper than the two-edged sword. And it lives and abides forever. And it is life-changing. We thank the Lord this morning for his word. And it shines into that dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, the morning star, in uh, common terms, is often one of the, the, the planets. It's sometimes seen as the planet Venus, which will brightly shine in the sky just before dawn. And it was known as the morning star. It could be one of the other planets, depending on the time of the year. And so Jesus refers to himself as the morning star. And so until the dawn of the absolute glory of the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, until that day dawns and Jesus comes back, we have this morning star that lights our way, lights our path. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. In fact, many prophets wrote and didn't really understand what they were writing about. It only became apparent sometimes centuries later. But remember, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what they wrote was God breathed. For prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful picture. The idea is that those who wrote the Scriptures didn't understand fully what they were saying, but they, they knew absolutely for certain that what they were saying was true because they had this sense of divine revelation. Revelation that God, by His Spirit, was carrying them along through the things that they wrote. And they remarkably have been preserved for us to this time. Well, um, uh, Jesus, by the way, refers to Himself as the bright and morning star in Revelation chapter 22. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 2, He refers to you being given the gift of the morning star as a person who overcomes by the power of Jesus. So to the overcomer, the Bible says, you are given the morning star. There, there is a deposit of God through Jesus in your heart that's very special. As you put your faith and trust in him and allow God to lead you from victory to victory in your life to overcome every temptation, every sin, every assault, against your mind, your heart, your body, every part of you. We need to make a distinction, because the Bible makes the distinction, between the words of God, which is the Bible, and the word of God, who is Jesus. And uh, we read in John chapter 1, verse four to uh, 1 to 4, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus, who is here given the title as Word, is Jesus, eternal. He didn't have the beginning of days, or he does not have the end of life, but he is God himself, eternal. And through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that was made. And the book of Colossians portrays that so beautifully. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. There's a light that shines today. He's the morning star, and he comes to us through his word, and his word points us to he who is the word, points us to Jesus. And uh, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so now we see what the psalmist said in Psalm 19 about the precepts and the laws and the commandments and all of those things that are vital to our understanding of God and to our understanding of human experience. But now there is an increased revelation, and it's in a person known as the Word. And he's full. Well, yes, he honors the law, and he honors the precepts and the statutes and the commandments that were given throughout the Bible. But his message is grace and truth that enables us to overcome the failures that we have in keeping the laws of God and to give us the power to be all that he's designed us to be. Praise his name. Praise his name. Uh, Christians. Wow. We need the word of God. Timothy said the word of God is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And we're going to talk about each one of those, uh, of those areas in the next three messages that I'll be speaking. Uh, and that will actually be up. Up somewhere in November. But here's what um, uh, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. He said, Timothy, and Timothy was a young pastor. He said, Timothy, preach the word. Be Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with all or with great patience and careful instruction. You see, there's tremendous responsibility when it comes to teaching the word or preaching the word. Uh, it's not always easy to rebuke or to say, church, there are things we're doing that are wrong. Or you point out to somebody that what they've done here is not right. And the person might say, well, you know, they hate me or they just, they just don't understand me and, and all and on, the, the excuse can excuses can happen and people can leave a church not because they had a legitimate reason but because they were not willing to receive a corrective word and all of us have to be prepared to be instructed even if that instruction challenges us in things that we're thinking or doing and calls us to change in areas of our life that need changed he said And this is a a different translation. That translation of that scripture was in the NIV. The New Living Translation, Translation says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Like the way they put it there. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. You say, well, maybe some uh, pastor can think this. Well, i got to check this out in the church and correct things and stuff, but I don't think the time is really convenient. I'll wait for a more convenient time. That time may never come. But the time it does come, there's been more problems that have been created. And so even if the time doesn't seem favorable, the issue is if it's necessary. And that's what we need to focus our lives on. Well... All of the doctrines of the scripture, all of the teachings, all of, whether you're talking the Old Testament, the commands, the laws, the precepts, the statutes, the New Testament, you get into the doctrines of love and grace and salvation through Jesus. It all points to one person. All the Old Testament and new points to Jesus. And I, I just want to ask you a question this morning, and in these next few thoughts, we'll be calling you to respond. What do you believe about Jesus? And you say, Well, you say, well, Pastor, I come to church, and I believe this and this, and I, I believe everything you're saying. But wh- what do you believe in terms of experimental knowledge? In other words, an actual application in your life of what you know to be true on paper? How have you taken the word of God and internalized it and had it it transform your life and draw you into a close relationship not with a book but with a person? The book leads us to the person. And the issue is not how much we really understand about every doctrine of the scriptures as important as that is. The issue is how much do we know of Jesus? How Intimately close are we to his heart, to his will, and to the callings that he has on our lives. I'm going to leave you with one portion of scripture, and I'll close with this. And it takes us to Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16. Therefore, now the word therefore stands for everything that has been taught up to this point. In fact, you can put it into context and say everything that was in the book of Hebrews, everything that's in the whole Bible, the sum of all that the Bible teaches brings us to a therefore, a conclusion of the matter. And that conclusion is that we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Now, in the Old Testament, the office of the high priest was the highest priestly office in Israel and he had a function once a year that was the most important function of all and that was on the day of atonement which was one day a year he would offer blood a blood sacrifice and bring it into a very very special place where he, only he the high priest could go and that was called the holiest of holy place where the mercy seat of god was and where the ark of the covenant was where the cherub the two uh, anointed cherub were and and he would go in this place, and he would take the blood of the lamb that he had slain, and sprinkle it on the altar, for the to atone for his own sins. The Bible says, and for the sins of his people. Now Jesus has been given the title, our great high priest. So he's elevated above the priesthood of the Old Testament, even the high priest office. And the reason he's called a high priest is because in reality he functions the same way. He brings an offering of blood to the holiest of place. But this time it's not from one room to another and he, he gets there by passing through a veil, but he is our high priest who has ascended into heaven, and has come to the throne room of God. So he's a high priest that, and if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll see that every argument that possibly can be made about who Jesus is in his office as high priest is made. And we realize that he is in the presence of God. And today, he's our high priest. And he lives forever to make intercession for us. And the blood of this high priest was not the blood of an animal, but it was his own blood. So our great high priest was both priest and sacrifice. And in his sinless perfection, he made an offering for sin that is once never to be repeated, never needs to be repeated, and it's for all. No one is excluded. And the challenge this morning is, do you believe this? Is it your doctrine? Is it more than just facts on a page that you read in the Bible or a sermon you hear preached? But is it a living reality within you? That you have a relationship with Jesus as your high priest. And he is your advocate. And he sent Holy Spirit to function in his place as our advocate today here on earth while he's in heaven until the day that we are joined together. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. You know, when you have a... You see somebody commit some sin, Say it's smoking, and they're a chain smoker. And you say, why in the world do they do that? When you read statistics about how many people die every year because of tobacco, and you say, why? And, and oh, dear, I got no use for that person. And, and I hope you don't think that way, but it's easy to have contempt for somebody who has a sin that you don't have. Right? Uh, you you hearing what I'm saying? or somebody who's different than you are, somebody, whatever the sin might be. But Jesus, who was tempted in every area of life that we're tempted in, never sinned. And yet instead of having contempt for us or disdain or shoving us off to one side, the Bible says that he sympathizes, he empathizes with our weakness. He comes alongside and he says, son, I understand. Daughter, I know what you've been through. And I know how tough it's been. And I understand. And I care. And I gave my life for you. We have a high priest. I'm going to change microphones, Jonathan. Before he died, he took bread, and the Bible says he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not just, we're not just remembering the cross and what he did, but we're remembering everything it stands for. That Jesus, as our high priest, empathizes with our weakness, with our brokenness. And, and it's up for us today to make a decision about what we're going to believe. Are we going to believe that Jesus truly is our high priest? And that he gives us an identity and a meaning for life that we can't find anywhere else? Do we really, truly believe that? Or do we believe the lies that we've been told? The lies that other people have told us. Maybe you were told you're no good. Maybe your parents told told you that. Maybe you were told that you're just, well, you're just this or that or the other thing. Maybe your friends told you that. Maybe a teacher told you that. Somebody told you that and you believed it. And you come to church and you hear a sermon like this or you hear the Bible preached and you say, "Well, well, yeah, that's true, but it's not really true because... Well, if it is, yeah, it's really true, but so is this other thing. This whole idea that I'm no good or I'm useless or I've got sin that I can't control and I can never control it. I could never overcome the habit that I have, whatever that habit might be. And so you believe that, well, yeah, his body was broken for me, but to actually take it and internalize what it means to let it come not just into my physical being but this represents something that comes into every part of my being my spirit, my mind, my emotions my will, the choices I make I I choose to believe And as it goes on and says in this scripture, let us then approach God's throne. You see, you can't just hope that happens automatically. There's an approach that needs to be made. There's an action that is required from us. There's a movement that brings us into an appropriation of what Jesus has done for us. And he calls us to make that approach in a few minutes we're going to have communion and you're going to be invited to come to one of four stations and it's going to be on the basis of this message this morning you're approaching God in thanksgiving and praise to him but you're also approaching him through the name of Jesus and saying God I, I receive what you have for me there's a flask of oil at each of the four stations and if you want prayer for something specific, like a physical need or some other pressing need, you could ask the persons at the station to anoint you with oil and pray for you, and they will do that. We approach the throne, <laughs> not the throne of law or commandments, but the throne of grace. Wow. Grace rules. Grace rules. Grace enables us to keep the laws of God. It empowers us to overcome when we can't overcome on our own. And we approach the the, the throne of grace with confidence, not with, oh, what's God going to say to me this time? I did this and I did that and I failed here and I failed there. But no, confidence That he who is our great high priest when he ascended to the throne of God and offered his own blood on that eternal day of atonement has made it possible for me to always receive grace when I need it. In fact, that's what it says. So that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. You have a need this morning? I do. Do you? Wave at me if you do. Need more of Jesus. <laughs> you need more power. Come on. You need more grace. More of God. More of the Bible. The word of God. Wave both hands at me. <laughs> I need more this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your bulletin uh, insert, and uh, I took this from a pastor, and I, I didn't put his name here, but it's a it's a declaration, and I'm going to get you to stand with me and make this declaration with me. Do you have your Bible? Hold your. In fact, it's it's up here. Uh, I think it should be the next slide. Okay, you might be able to read it from off here if you can see the small print from where you are, or you can read it right off of your page. Hold your Bible high or your iPad or wherever you have your Bible. And if you didn't bring it this morning, just hold your hand high. (laughs) Okay, say it together. This is my Bible. Say it again. This is my Bible. Say it louder. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will go where it says I will go. God's work, work, milk to my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from, when I, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. Let's thank God together today for the Bible, for his word. Thank you, Lord. And all that we've read, and much much more than that, is because of the living word. And all of what we've read, and more besides, it's in the Bible, is made possible because of Jesus, who is the living word. His body was broken for us. And he said, take and eat. (laughs) In remembrance of me, how many just feel like partaking this morning? receiving this is my blood that was shed for you imagine uh, the cup of wine and a loaf of bread symbolizing that which is eternal he who is God himself it's amazing how (laughs) the the significance of that the fact that Just wine and bread can represent God who created and all that that means. And part of the reason that God has used such a simple, simple way of revealing himself to us through just physical emblems or symbols is because what he wants to do with these symbols, he wants to do in us to let the eternal God indwell Just little old me. Isn't that amazing? It is truly amazing. Lord, as we stand in your presence this morning, we are amazed. We are in wonder and awe of who you are and what you've done for us, for your word, for the doctrines of the Bible. And for he who is the word, the living doctrine, Jesus. And now, Lord, as we prepare to worship you with our tithes and our offerings. And to worship you with, by coming to this table to receive. And with the songs that we sing and the prayers that we offer. We just give you thanks, praise, and just open our hearts to receive from you. So Holy Spirit, come. Enter each person and just very magnificently and very personally minister to each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name.